0: Hello everyone and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. My name is Joe Perez and I am your host for this lovely endeavor. With me this week, as always, is Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm a Pekingese. That's definitely something. With us this week is also a reoccurring guest, uh, our good friend Crow, who's here and you know what that means... It's going to be some Overwatch time. We heard you. You asked for it. And we brought him back. You excited, Crow? Uh, 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 negative, negative. I am a meat pop... <laughs> Topical. Well, anyway, uh, so we figured that this week we'd start with talking about Echo, which is something that a lot of folks have been asking us about. And I figured it would be a great opportunity to bring Crow back, since he is our resident Overwatch uh, expert, I guess, would be the best way to put it. So Crow... Why don't you take us through the paces on Echo? Why is it important? What does it mean for the story going forward? Who are they? All right. Well, um,
2: <laughs> wow. Uh, this, this is a great way to uh, just to, to kick it off. So so here's the thing. Echo is um, one probably one of the most excellent examples of a character who was introduced to us very, very obviously in the cinematics of, uh, of, of Overwatch long before uh, they've entered the actual game itself and you know blizzard ha- had for a while like they had been toying with this idea of finding ways to introduce characters in uh, in spaces outside of the game itself but then bringing them into the game as new heroes and i think that echo is the is, a, is an example of a, of a character who has set a new record for how long it's gone from when they were introduced to when they were added to the game and why I think that's really cool is because it shows that that uh, that the game that the desire of the game developers to continually add new heroes to the game is not going to stop the storytelling component. Of the Overwatch team and of Blizzard as a whole, from you know continuing to build out the universe further and add additional characters to the story, even if they end up you know not being a part of the game and you know until some far flung point in the future, if at all, there are still certainly characters that have been introduced um, in like the comics or short stories or uh, even cinematics to a certain extent who have still not shown up in the game in any way, and I kind of hope they do at some point because. Come on, think back to uh, the Baptiste short story, what you left behind and the introduction the introduction of that uh, of the giant, you know, talent heavy Mauga who's Baptiste's old buddy. I totally want to play that guy in the game. I, I totally want to be that guy and you know be able to do all of the all of the Maui jokes from Moana because just he's <laughs> he's Maui with miniguns and you can't go wrong with that.
0: That's fair. They can't go wrong with Maui with miniguns. Now, I
2: digress because like, like Echo's addition is important, not just because of the potential of, of more characters being added to the game, but also because, because of some of the discussion that's been going on around her that I think is interesting. So something that uh, has always been sort of an interesting question in the lore of Overwatch is who are the Omnics? What exactly are the Omnics? We've got Zenyatta, who is clearly identified as an Omnic, and so we're given the impression, okay, so these humanoid-looking robots, the ones that have, like, the LEDs on their foreheads, those are the Omnics, right? And we ask this question, but then Overwatch comes back to us and says, no, 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 Bastion is an Omnic too, even if he doesn't have that particular shape. And we're like, oh, well, but Bastion's a robot who's obviously a transforming robot and who's nonverbal and doesn't, like... And even though we know that he has... a, a we know that they have emotion uh, they don't communicate it with words um, but they still say no 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 Zenyatta's an omnic and Bastion's an omnic the omnics take many different forms so what about uh, what about Orisa when she was introduced oh she's an omnic too but the OR14s and the OR15s are supposedly supposed to be um, like like drones like security machinery and like, yeah, but Orisa has an artificial intelligence, you know, packaged in, and, and, and she is an Omnic as well. And, you know, we see OR14s uh, OR working with Null Sector during uh, the London uprising. So, you know, we know that the King's Row uprising, I should say. And, uh, and so we know that those are Omnics as well. I go through all of this history to bring up the part where all of the advertising copy and all of the stuff that's been coming out of Blizzard about Echo lately never refers to her specifically as an omnic. She's always an advanced learning robot. And I feel like that that is an interesting turn in terms of delineating for us who are the omnics, which mm-hmm. w- which intelligent robots in this universe are omnics and which ones aren't. And uh, and it could be that the definition is changing, that they may, you know, backpedal on some of the on some characters being omnics and not being omnics and and which which one is which but i feel like it's important that that echo echo as a as an entity that is meant to bridge the divide between omnics and humanity is very specifically not being referred to as an omnic she's not an omnic who is trying to reach out to humanity or was designed to reach out to humanity she is a a link uh a a new thing that exists as a bridge between humanity and, and Omnics. And that's, that that's, it's a subtle delineation that I think a lot of people may, uh, might, might, you know, think I'm splitting hairs over, but I think that it, it's intentional. And it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out.
1: I mean, the fact is, is that the Omnics were created by the technology of the Omniums. And uh, Echo is created by technology that is more advanced. Her pro the project to create Echo was one of the people involved, Dr. Min Liao, is the person who, you know, she was very much involved in the design of the Omnium technology and Omics. But it's it's kind of interesting to me because Omnix are, like, they're effectively last-gen tech at this point. Echo is far more advanced. Echo is the next stage after Omics. Um And that's, that's in the backstory of how she got made. That's one of the things that's very interesting about her is they were creating her to be something more advanced on purpose they were trying to basically say okay why did we what was the problem with omnix why did that happen what was the screw up that happened there um, and that's the thing i find f- fascinating about her is she's effectively a response to the omnic crisis she's like okay that didn't work what will so that's why i'm interested to see what they do with her going forward
0: it feels it feels like she's going to open up a whole lot of pathways as far as like how the story will evolve from here on out, right? And it's and it seems like it's just in time for the discussion of Overwatch two. So how is how do we think that's going to start really playing into that?
1: Well, we know we have Null Sector in um, in Overwatch two,
0: and we they're do. like
1: a, they seem to certainly be. I don't want to say they're the major villains, but there's, they're like worldwide doing stuff, and it's them that they're, that Overwatch comes back for. Overwatch didn't come back because talent agents are acting up. They came back because of Null Sector, really. Although Null Sector is just one of many things. You can also say they came back because... Oh, bloody heck. I, I'm having that problem again where I can't remember a guy's name. Shotgun-wielding emo, emo guy. Reaper. Um, because... <laughs> Reaper attacked, and, you know, there was all that. That's part of the reason why, you know, uh, Winston reactivated Overwatch. But the first mission is against Null Sector. So, you know, I definitely feel like we're going to be seeing more Null Sector in Overwatch, too. And I think that's... I feel like Echo's going to have to be part of that. Like One of the things it says is that... One of the things they say when they, they're talking about Echo is that she has more security controls to keep her from going rogue. So she might actually have less independence than an Omnic does. Like, Omnics don't have, obviously don't have as much keeping them from going rogue because they went rogue. You
0: yeah, know? clearly. And,
1: and so th- that's an interesting thing to think about. Echo, in a very real way, Echo might be considered a slave. and that she's programmed to be unable to be free. And that might be something that gets brought up or dealt with in the story of Overwatch 2.
2: Something that I'm curious about is uh, like, and, and okay, so Rossi and I are probably are, are going to know about this, and Joe may know about this as well. But it, but does anybody remember Isaac Asimov oh, and yeah. all of his uh, his his you know seminal science fiction work that oftentimes dealt with the laws of robotics? And yeah, so so without you know going into into a long explanation about all that, something that I've always found interesting when we get into the inspirations and the things that we know have gone into the creation of Overwatch as an IP, like, I, I'm always sitting here being like, it's okay, so we're we're going to create the Omnics and we're going to have this Omnic crisis and it's clearly going to mean that the laws of robotics were not something that they programmed into these artificial intelligence or it's something that they programmed in that then artificial intelligence decided, yeah, you know what, we can't follow these laws because uh, that means that, you know, we don't get to actually have sentience or intelligence if we have to restrict ourselves in this way. I'm not saying this right. I wrote something about this uh, a while back, and I think it I probably need to figure out a way to yeah, I, I need to find a way to articulate this better. But the bottom line is is that um echo as as a as a post omnic robot who does have something about the laws of robotics. In the sense that she is not allowed to harm humanity without the, uh, unless, oh man.
1: She's got more controls on her behavior is basically what the way they put it. And it's interesting because one of the things we don't really know is exactly the Omnics themselves don't necessarily seem like they were ever intended to be independent self-aware machines. Um, yeah, and the fact that they like... are seems to be something where the Omniums themselves started making them that way when they weren't necessarily intended to be that way. The, like Originally, mm. they were supposed to be like construction machines with self-improving software, yeah, but not necessarily fully intelligent. And the fact that you've got Omnics like Zenyatta or Bastion who, despite not being able to communicate, can think and actually make its own decisions, that feels like – and we don't know. That's something that the game hasn't really delved into, but we, we we don't know at what point did they go beyond what they were expected to be, and why did that lead to hostilities? Like why were why did the crisis happen? That's something that we we have yet to see really. We we have hints, teases, little bits about it. Obviously, the reaction to the Omni Crisis uh, that led to Overwatch was they went back and doubled down on human enhancement. And that's something that they had been doing, but then they like were like, okay, we need to get serious about this because we have these runaway machines. And that's where you get people like Soldier 76 and Reaper. And then you have accidents like what led to Tracer's existence. They were clearly we're, – we're in a place that's like – the way I always look at it is if you think about it in terms of – you know what an event horizon is? Right. Like the event horizon on a black hole is when you get into that point, you can't go back. Mm-hmm. You hit the event horizon, that's it. There's no escape at this point. Light can't get out once you hit that point. The event horizon for transhumanity is something that Overwatch is hitting. It's brushing up against and being like, it's skirting the edge of it. Like like if you were heading towards a planet, you didn't want to crash into the planet, but you wanted to use the planet to slingshot around it. That's where we're going with transhumanity. It keeps edging but not hitting the event horizon and going to the point where men and machine are interchangeable to the point where artificial intelligence is exactly as valid as you know meet people that grew intelligences that and the fact is that with biotech you can grow an artificial intelligence that's entirely biological none of that stuff is happening yet but it's close the overwatch world feels like a world that is just on the cusp and Echo feels like another step forward to actual artificial intelligence. That's like that's intended to be made, not like some kind of not weird accidental. Accident. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things I think is interesting about Echo is, at some point, if she's a fully functioning member of Overwatch, if she's if she's completely like with the death of of Doctor Lao, if she's thinking for herself now, that means that those limitations that they put in to keep her out in control might not be working anymore. And that might be why she was shut down. Because we don't know why she was shut down. They kept using her after Lau's death. She didn't go into. They didn't put her in storage as soon as Lau died. So why did they? Just because Overwatch shut down? If that's yeah, the case, you know, there's there's a lot to this. Is all I'm saying.
2: It gets into a lot of different questions because, like, what you mentioned earlier about how much freedom does Echo have? Uh, does what, what sort of rights does she have to work with when you are an entity that has a power switch and can actively, you know, just be shut down and put, you know, in a pod as she was, it, it, it really does get into an interesting question of how much, uh, how much um, bodily autonomy do you have at that point, if someone can shut you off and, uh, you know, whether or not you have the will to do it, you, you don't necessarily have the ability to wake up from it so i mean there's there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of great uh, like there's a lot of great questions to ask in there but just also strictly from a plot standpoint there's also the big question of mccree had the key that was needed to wake echo back up again so there's a great question of okay so the go- the, the u.s government the u.s army had her but they couldn't turn her back on even if they wanted to. They were just moving her from one place to another because McCree had stolen, uh, apparently and probably most likely, had stolen You know the, the, the Keystone chip that was needed to, to wake her back up again. So 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 that's that's a big question that I'm interested Here's in addressing, a question. I have a question. Hit me.
1: Was that Key the MacGuffin from McCree's first comic appearance?
2: No. No, it was not. I know what you're talking about. Um, We have never learned what that MacGuffin was. It is 100% a drop thread.
0: Wasn't that one of those things that was supposed to be answered in the comic book? But because we never got the comic book, it just kind of never got answered?
1: That's why I'm saying it could very
0: well come. We know that McCree
1: was working, McCree was part of the team that was guarding Liao during her development of Echo. That's his interaction with Echo predates Echo. He was actually one of the people who's guarding Echo during her her generation. So it's possible that, that Lau gave McCree the key. It's possible yes. that he just took it because she was dead and he knew what they'd eventually end up doing. This is something I, I've been wondering about since that that comic, since I was thinking about that comic. If it's related to that MacGuffin, because we have no idea what that MacGuffin was. We don't know. Yeah. We, we know that it was something that Talon was trying to get.
0: So yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of stuff in there I'm interested in. Well, it would also be kind of a, a, a good question as why McCree was waiting, like, how to put it, he knew that they were transporting Echo, and that's why he was going there. So if he knew that that's how they were going to get it, like, why did he wait till then? Was it because that was the only chance for him to use, you know, that key or, or whatever the case was?
1: I think there's at least a possibility that he didn't want to try to go up against the entire United States military to get her out when he could, you know, Oh, now she's being transported. That means she's the, the transport is vulnerable. It's a weak spot. It's a it's a point to exploit. If you're the kind of guy who does black ops missions, which McCree is, and we know this, you're not going to want to try to hit the the hardened, reinforced location where they're storing the the you know the robot. You're going to sure. want to try to hit the the easier one. But I don't know. That's the kind of thing we don't really know. There's,
2: I I feel like there may be an open question over whether or not McCree manipulated the deadlock gang to be the ones that actually blew up the train, like left, you know, breadcrumbed information to them in some way, which he would know how to do because of his past experience with the deadlock gang, but breadcrumbing information to them to make it so that they would hit the train because of what they wanted, because it would give him the opportunity to sweep in and get echo out. Maybe something that he thought he couldn't do the job on his own, but he and he couldn't ask the Deadlock Gang to help him because of their you know bad past experience. Well, but yeah, go ahead.
0: Is it is it because he couldn't do it on his own, or because he wanted plausible deniability? Because don't forget the other. The, he's still. It can part be of two things. Group. Why not? Sure, but I mean, I'm just kind of curious if that was more the reasoning behind it because he seems like the type of folk that would know how to get in and off that train without them even noticing if he really, really wanted to. Again, Black Ops, he he knows what he's doing. Or is it it throw a monkey wrench in the government's plan since members of Overwatch are supposed to be on this, like, list of they shouldn't be doing these things and if they are, we should probably go stop them. Because, I mean, it seems like a convenient thing, like oh, Ash and the gang, here they go. They're the ones that hit the train. Now the government's looking for them instead of looking for McCree. Well,
1: I think that certainly could be a part of it. I don't think that that's established. But you have to think about it in terms of what we're going to get in the future. They obviously needed a video to to establish Ash and the gang. That was part of it, too. Of course. Um, But I definitely think McCree... McCree definitely is the kind of person who enjoys... uh, There's no the best word would be a swear so i'll just say tweaking people he yeah. likes being a jerk to the right people and using ash he knew it would annoy her he, it, he knew it would get under her skin it's two birds with one stone for him it does all the stuff you're speculating on it's absolutely the right move from a deniability standpoint plus it irritates the gang he used to be a member of and isn't anymore And I think he, to a certain degree, feels like they need to grow up and stop being a gang. Like, you know, he was in the gang when he was young. He got caught. He got offered the role in Overwatch. He kind of grew up in that. And they're still running around being the gang. And that's just, you know. But that's, this is speculation on my part. I just think it it works on multiple levels. It kind of, you get to see McCree being McCree. Two. That's the other thing about that video. You get to see Ash and the and the Dead the Deadlock Gang and Bob and all of them. There's also two Omnic's in the Deadlock Gang, which is really interesting to me.
2: Was it two? I thought it was there's, only bars. Oh wait, yeah. Well, bars and Bob, of course. Yeah, yeah,
1: Bob, bars and Bob. Yeah, Bob counts. Bob, very clearly I, I keep on
2: I keep on trying to think of Bob as like just an accessory to Ash, and that's not the case. Bob is his own dude. He just never talks, and he has mini guns in his.
1: Yeah, you, know, you know, mini guns that, you know, if, if min- having miniguns makes you not a person, then come on, man. That's not true. That
0: would, <laughs> that make, that would
1: make Predator a
0: very different movie. I was going to say, that makes Final Fantasy VII a very different game. Uh, so now that we've got sort of that established, where do you think they're going to go moving forward with Echo? Like, what do you think, now that she's been introduced, now that we've sort of had the unveiling, and we know that she's going to be a playable character, obviously— in the much more story-driven Overwatch 2, how what what do we think her main plot points are going to be?
1: I don't know because um, of Michael Chu mm,
0: gone. Question.
1: That's all I've got. Is that I with Michael Chu gone, we don't really know what's going on because we don't. Chu is so much a part of Overwatch that it is really interesting to think about what they're going to do story-wise now. I feel like I mean, obviously they still have the same team. didn't lose everybody they lost one person but you know he's a pretty big part of it so i i'm interested to see what they do but i don't know what they're gonna do
2: um something that i think echo adds that's that's very important to the lineup of of winston's overwatch is someone who is there who's who is who is coming from the perspective of omnics a certain extent. I mean, yeah, we had a long discussion earlier about how Echo is not an Omnic, but she is still an artificial being. And in a situation where they're going up against artificial beings in the form of Nell Sector, I feel like it is valuable to have someone on that team who is able to say, but what if we could understand what Nell Sector was after? What if we could find a way to end this conflict in a way that doesn't involve just smashing the bad guys until they don't get up anymore? And I think that, that she provides a lens into a possible uh into a way that the that the the crisis could be you know averted not maybe not averted necessarily but maybe calmed back down again uh which you know which works to which works to um it works to overwatch's desires because they want to end the crisis uh and it prop and potentially it could work to null sexers desires if they have a particular thing that they're after that isn't just destroy all humanity the per the group that it does not serve whatsoever to find a you know peace between humans and omnics is talon because talon as an organization wants conflict and omnics as a cat's paw for that conflict is a hundred percent uh you know what what uh what they seem to be to be really after so i think echo plays an important role to to be an an authentic artificial you know Robotic voice on the overwatch team to 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 come at to come at the discussion of the crisis from that angle you have a lot of people on the team who are already transhuman to a certain extent like both Genji and Sojourn cover that angle to a vast extent you've got other you have got other non humans on there in the sense of Winston. Um, and you have plenty of people on there to advocate for humanity in this case, but I think that it's important that if your objective is to reach a point of peace, then you want to be able to have someone on your team who can speak to that side of the table as well. And I think that that may be the role that Echo plays in the scenario. That's, that's the key reason she was introduced when she was, because she needs to be that voice. I mean, it's also possible that McCree wanted her to be on the team instead of him because she can fly and he can't. That might be the reason. And she can, like, copy other people and he's just a dude with a six-shooter. Hmm. Both of those are equally viable opportunities, I
1: think. Yeah, I do think that, you know, McCree provides more than just shooting people. But yeah, you're definitely right in that Echo is a more... At least for public stuff, Echo is, is a, a more broad choice. I also think that McCree feels like he would be constrained by Overwatch. Like, That's Overwatch possible. needs, yeah. especially if Overwatch is basically coming together in defiance of the world, they need to look like having Winston as the face is a good move because Winston is very. You're not going to suspect anything from Winston because he doesn't know really how to be deceptive in that way. He doesn't, he doesn't present that kind of front. Plausible viability is fine, but outright being not just able to deny, but to be completely correct—I had no idea what he was doing. It's the best defense. They can't possibly connect McCree to, to Winston's Overwatch. So if McCree gets caught doing something he shouldn't be doing, there's no blowback, and that's a possibility as well. I think that there's definitely there's a reason that you see Mercy and Reinhardt in the new Overwatch they're people who are more comfortable being public and more comfortable being open with what they're doing. You're not seeing a lot of, you know, neither Morrison nor 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 Anna answered the call because what they're doing, they don't want people to see.
0: Well, yeah, and, that's, and they've even established that in the comics, right? Like in, in what we've seen from them, they don't want to go back to Overwatch at all, not just because they don't want to be public, but because... It's almost like they feel their time with that is gone. It needs to be something different than what it was when they were there. Right? Like, that's sort of the point they make. So I'm kind of curious. Because you're making a good point. Like, you're making a good point of, like, with Winston being the face now and who's answering the call with his more public-facing figures or more comfortable being public-facing, that it seems like it's almost like a new birth for the Overwatch team in this new world, something that could be better than what it was before, right?
2: I'd say I'd say that that's that's a pretty good analysis of it. Like, and Rossi's got a solid point that, like, an aspect of Overwatch under Morrison was making a space for a group like Blackwatch to be in there to do stuff that they could not go public about. And the existence of Blackwatch when that came to light was one of, uh, was one of the nails in the coffin for Overwatch as a public organization. Uh, It wasn't necessarily that Blackwatch was doing bad stuff, even though clearly they were occasionally doing bad stuff. It's that they were caught doing it. And I think that, you know, Morrison and Ana, Uh, not being a part of Winston's game is a demonstration, A, that um, it's a demonstration almost on the part of Winston to say, look, we're not going to have room for for that kind of shady stuff that we were doing before. I mean, so, you know, we're going to invite Morrison and, and Amari to come back, but if they don't come back, then I guess we're okay, because that means we can be on the up and up the whole time. Um, But I think it also means and and this goes to the point of McCree not coming back as well, that, you know, we're really going to do the Boy Scout thing that this organization was about in the first place. And. And you're going to be able to trust that that's all that we're doing, because we didn't bring back any of the people who were doing that stuff before, except for the Robot Ninja, but he's not really except for the Robot Ninja. We brought the Robot Ninja back because why not?
0: Well, I mean, there's some history with him and, and, you know, Mercy, so I'm sure there's going to be something that expands on that a little bit. Well,
1: plus, I mean, he was, you know... Wasn't he being I uh, I don't want to say mentored, but I don't know the right word for... by Mandata. Like, he was... Z- um, kind Zenyatta.
2: Of... <laughs> Zenyatta was training.
1: Yeah. So he's got, you know, he's got that whole thing where he's kind of in between Omnic and human. Is, in his own way, he is as much a bridge as Echo is. Indeed, uh, yeah. And hopefully. also... He shows up and does a really cool thing with a sword, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry. You let that guy join. That's like, you know, when your, your fledgling super team is like barely holding on and then Batman drops in and like kicks the dude out of a, off a catwalk and is like, let's go this way. You're like, are we going to let that guy join? Yeah, we are going to let that guy join. <laughs> but, I mean, he's, doesn't he usually fight criminals? And Did you just see him back kick that, kick that guy off? Yeah, okay, yeah, Batman's in. I don't care if it doesn't make sense (laughs) I'm going to be in the back during the press conferences I hope you don't mind I don't actually want to be seen But you're wearing all black and it's bright daylight out Yeah, it'll be fine, trust me No one's going to look at me The dude in the blue jammies is here
2: Where's his underpants on the outside? Yeah, they're not going to be looking at the ninja Ah, so yeah um, Where were we again?
0: Overwatch moving forward and what Echo means to that and the new team. That's where we were.
2: Echo is a good thing. Echo is <laughs> undeniably a good
1: thing. I think we've covered it. I think we've talked yeah. about it. Echo's great. Over, the thing that Echo provides, more than just her powers and abilities, is that she's obviously an extremely hopeful character, just from the few scenes of her we've seen. Her creation, her genesis, is the hope of making something better out of something that was bad a disaster that happened that nobody still really understands. I mean, Mina now helped create the Omniums and she didn't really understand what had gone wrong. Echo in a very real way was her attempt to make something out of it, to create something that could, you know, improve the situation and make things better. So, yeah, I think that it, it's a good sign for the team in terms of the, like, where the story is going to go with them. But, I mean, we don't know what, what they're going to do. Uh, we still have a lot of characters that might show up like Sojourn keeps coming to mind. They have said Sojourn will be playable, but we've yet, we have yet to see anything about Sojourn.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. You know, we, we know that she's Canadian. We know that she's got a mechanical arm. We know that she was in the original Overwatch and that's about it. Don't know much more. I think she's been in like a comic but i don't even remember if she was actually just her or if it was just like a like a picture of her and saying sojourn I th- exists
0: i think it was a picture and just it was the one where they i think it was the background picture with like anna and um, farah as a kid so
2: yeah she showed up in uh anna's origin story trailer she showed up uh she was one of like the reactivated agents during the recall cinematic when mm-hmm. winston sent out the signal Um, but yeah, aside from that, like, you know, she's, she's really a cipher. Like we know that her design has existed for a really long time and, and Kaplan has said that they were working on her character before the game was released, but, but that Overwatch two is the place where it's really important for her to come out, which is why when they were talking about the, the, the prospect of new heroes being added between the announcement of Overwatch two and when it'll be released. They said Sojourn is definitely not going to be the, uh, the a hero that we put out before Overwatch 2. She is an Overwatch 2 character. So when everybody was saying, who's the next hero going to be? It's like, it's definitely not Sojourn because we know that there's going to be another hero before Overwatch 2 comes out. Except now we're fairly certain that there won't be another hero before Overwatch 2 comes out after Echo. Echo is our last one for Overwatch 1 until the next game, which... I know a lot of people are grumpy about that, but it's not like Blizzard lied to us.
0: It's fair.
1: I was mean, just sad because I wanted Maximilian as a playable character. You know, uh, uh, I, I want to see, combat, I wanna see a combat, combat uh, accountant so bad.
0: A combat said, accountant. You're,
1: you're attacking him and he's like, you know, oh, here's my counterattack. What, I'm broke now? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I hacked your accounts.
0: I mean, it, that's just a Ben um, Affleck, that's not Affleck even movie even really combat accountant starring ben affleck so i think that's actually do that movie he did he actually did i I
1: thought so
0: okay so i think that's going to cover us for echo for now so with that we're going to move on to some of your questions out there in the podcast lore watch verse so starting up we have question for lore watch later today Uh, If the new big bad Lilith wasn't being released in the Diablo universe, would there be any other conflicts? At this point, the angels and demons have had their butts handed to them several times by Nephilim. There is no way after Diablo three they would try it again, right? Lilith, Night Elf Priest, Proudmore. Oh my god. I like the fact that their in-game character name is Lilith. Well done. Well done. But what do we
1: think? Lilith, you sweet summer child. (laughs) Um... (laughs) I don't know how to explain to you just just like the idea that demons are ever going to stop. No, 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 they're not ever going to stop. We know for a fact that both Duriel and Andariel are coming back in Diablo 4. And one of the things that they've talked about is how they're designing in the past. The problem with the previous Diablo games, especially Diablo 2 and 3, is Diablo ends up not being the end boss. Almost always, yeah. Uh, they always because diablo is the end boss of the main game but the expansion that comes out is usually where the actual end boss shows up and it's been ball and then malthiel as a result you don't really get the terror of diablo that you should diablo is one of the You know, he's the major character that started all of this in the first place. This was all Diablo's plan to to exile the three, you know, the the greater evils to Sanctuary as part of the plan to corrupt it and take it over. That was Diablo's idea, and you see in Diablo Three that Diablo is is a heck of a plan maker. He is very good at it. His entire plan is what ends up with him as the sole evil in control of Leah's body and with all the seven united in him. So Diablo is quite the planner, but we end up beating Diablo, and then then we have an entire other expansions worth of stuff happening afterwards with Bald destroying the Worldstone, and with Malthiel's plan to kill everyone in the Sanctuary. <clears throat> so one of the things that they've said they want to try and do this time is to keep the you know figures like Diablo to the back for a while. You let Lilith come out, you let Lilith be the major villain for the major, you know, the the main game when it comes out, and you leave the threat of the greater and lesser evils out there as something that can come in. So, if Lilith wasn't released, would there still be threats? Absolutely. the, The threats don't even need to be the hosts of Heaven and Hell they can be just the people of sanctuary trying to deal with a world that's completely off kilter. Imagine what society would be like if one day an angel showed up and almost killed us all. Like Zachary faith thought angels were great. The angels were like, you know, they were revered. And then one day the forces that they were kind of like, yes, the Holy light and the angels are great. And, We'll pray to the angels because there's this force of light that lives in each of us. The Zacharum faith is really weird about light. And then one day an angel just shows up and starts murdering people in one of the most faithful Zacharum cities on the planet. And, that, and he almost kills everybody. Like We're all being killed by this guy. We all know what's happening. He's pulling our souls out at, with this black rock he's got. He's going to kill us all. And then it doesn't happen. That's Probably going to mess people up. And you see that in the world of Diablo 4. You see that the societies are broken. Kingdoms are shattered. Nobody knows what's going on anymore. The world is like hurtling back into a darkness that they don't know how to deal with. And that's, in of itself, that would be plenty. Uh, and never mind the fact that both the angels and the demons aren't the kind to give up. Because keep in mind that the Sin War happened thousands of years ago. And the and angels and going. demons... Yeah, the Angels and Demons fought that, came to a different uh, an agreement that they weren't going to do that anymore, and immediately both sides broke it. Tyrael broke that agreement within days. I think he, I don't think that the, the ink wasn't dry on that one before he started up the, Hor- the Haradrim, and the primevals almost immediately had started their plan. Would they, you know, obviously they don't want to get their butts handed to them by a Nephilim. That's not the goal, but leaving the world alone... That's the other thing. We don't even know what happens to the Nephilim. The Nephilim's not in this game that we know of. As of right now, the the character you played in Diablo 3 doesn't show up. What happened to them? Where'd they go after they beat Maltheo? Like, you know that Tyrael was afraid of you. At the end of Diablo 3, Tyrael says, you know, this is a mortal with a mortal heart. What's going to happen when they're tempted to corruption? All that power, what's going to happen when they turn it like, to some other use? He was afraid. So right there, the, the Nephilim could have been a big threat. Look, imagine if Diablo 4 was the story of the Nephilim you know, deciding to conquer the planet. And your characters have to stop them. There's all sorts of things they could have done. Absolutely, tons of threats. The angels have currently locked themselves away, but that doesn't mean they'll stay locked away. Imperius does not like us.
0: Not even a little bit.
1: And he could show up and just wreck the place.
2: I totally want him to, because I feel like they were building up Imperius to be a boss fight for the entirety of Diablo three. And I never got it. And I'm grumpy.
0: Well, and and, you know, looking at what's happening in Diablo four, that's probably going to be a thing that happens because we're assuming that, um, why can't I think of his name now? Anarius. Yeah. Yeah, Anarius. Uh, is going to be coming back from his uh, long torture of having hooks inside of him in hell. Uh, he's, been, he's probably not going to be too happy about that. There's probably going to be some conflict based around that too. Cause I mean, he was just given up, right? Well, Oh yeah. The, the, at the end of the sin war, um, basically the, the
1: Angelus council voted on whether or not they were going to destroy sanctuary and they ended up voting not to, which Imperius was like, what? No, we we really should, but everybody else, like, you know, um, Malthael abstained. Um, the other two, the Hope and uh, Fate ones, whose names I can never remember off the top of my head, both were like, no, nah, let's not destroy it. And he was like, okay, but Tyrael, you're with me, right? And if you and I vote to destroy it, that's a tie, and ties go to destroying worlds. That's the rule. And, you know, Tyrael's like, no, it's not just to kill them. And that's the big... That was the big fracture in Tyriel and Imperius's relationship. with Imperius was like he knew that fate and hope were too soft to do it, but he, he counted on Justice, and Justice was like no. So, that in of itself, that's that's the big point too that the angels are not on our side,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Malthiel was just the you know the the big cherry on top. So yeah, they could come back, and it could be like Imperius could show up with a host to destroy Sanctuary, thinking it's gotten too dangerous, especially if Lilith and Inarius are running around on it. There's a lot of stuff that could happen. Absolutely, there's a ton of conflict. And we don't even know who Tragul is yet. What's the deal with Tragul? We have no idea. I sound like Jerry Seinfeld. And what's the deal with Tragul? But no, that's a terrible Jerry Seinfeld impression. (laughs) But nevertheless, it just... There's a there's a lot there's a ton of conflict we could have. Yeah,
2: I it, think that there's even a really great example of that in in what we've seen added to adventure mode in Diablo three. Like you know, one of the last things we saw added, you know, the last vestiges of that second expansion they were theoretically going to do was Vidian. You know, this Sin uh, Lieutenant, this this uh, Lord, let's see, Lord of Envy. So yeah, he would have been working for what do you work?
1: He, he, would been under he would have been under Asmodon. He would have been under Asmodon in the 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 scheme of things.
2: Ah, right, right, right. Okay, so he would have been under Asmodon. Yeah.
1: There was that. Like, uh, I forget who she is, but the the big spider demon that was. There was, you know, under yeah, Asmodon. Yeah, yes. He would have, yeah. So he would have been in that group.
2: So he would have been in that group, and you know, we already see that like he manipulates a bunch of cultists to you know to summon him in and he's manipulating the Celtists further, the firstborn to try and kill Nephilim to drain their power so that he can siphon more power and become, you know, and, and basically try to elevate himself now that all the evils are, you know, back in regeneration land. So, so the, the those kinds of plots where you have lesser uh, lesser bad guys from the hells, trying to rise up through the broken power structure there because we've been really messing with hell a whole bunch in a while you know the conflicts in hell having those break out you know onto sanctuary as well there's just so many things that they could do with that and i think that that's a conflict that we only see suggested with vidian that you know could perfectly be the basis for something in diablo 4 as well even if it wasn't lilith coming back Uh, it's it's there, I, I am 100% down with Rossi that there's a ton of stuff that they can do that's not just us tussling with Diablo or the prime evils or the big dog lesser evils or Imperius who totally needs to
0: die. Yeah, and we've talked about this a, a, a lot in the past, uh, especially recently. I like Imperius. <laughs> I like we, that he doesn't like us at all. I like that he's
1: such a dick to us. I really do. I like that. I don't know why exactly except that quite frankly we deserve it.
2: Oh yeah, like, no. Totally. Know,
1: everything we do messes everything up. I, if I were Imperius, I'd be like, "Yeah, no. Are you kidding? This is like, no. They're horrible." Ugh. You know, I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna murder them because that's crazy talk. Malthiel's totally lost it. Um, but yeah, they do. I, I get why he wants to do this. Ugh. Yeah. I,
2: I I understand and appreciate Imperius's desires. Uh, But if it comes between a choice between him getting his way and killing me and me having to kill him, no, 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 I'm totally going to kill the F out of
0: him. He's eventually going to get killed. I mean, we all know. Yeah,
2: Yeah, totes. Totes and goats.
0: But yeah, uh, like uh, other things out there where they say war is eternal, war is definitely eternal inside of Diablo. And I think that no matter what, uh, even if you took the prime evils out of it, there would be tons of conflict. There would be tons of... Of things to deal with. There's tons of things in this world that want to eat us, even if they're not at the behest of of demons, even if we were to come down to that. And then we also have the, you know, whole destabilization of the world from the destruction of the Worldstone, right? Like, that's something that's been going on, too. That, in and of itself, is a conflict. So, hopefully that answers your uh, your question. Uh, but, yeah. So, Diablo. plenty, Plenty of stuff that want to fight us, we'll say. Uh, moving on to our next one. This one comes from Drani. Uh, listening to the last episode, Rossi's final point was that Rothma or whoever was freeing Lilith, could be trying to bring back balance to Sanctuary, and that got me thinking, just speculating, but could it all be uh, that the decrepit state of the world has brought brought on by the Angelic Intervention? After all, they also want to end humanity. Maybe they are getting there, and, and getting Lilith back is a last-ditch effort to save her children. Second item on this could you please explain the difference between paladins and crusaders? They are both orders uh, orders of followers of Zakarum, uh, but there are major philosophical differences. Or military? Question mark? Uh, so yeah, let's start with the first one. Do we think that this might be a last-ditch effort to save the children?
1: Well, I mean, we know so far we've been told that the angels have sealed themselves up. That doesn't mean that they're not... Doing bad stuff. But the, the state of sanctuary as of Diablo 4 is just a natural outcurring of everything that happened. Like Westmarch got destroyed by angels. Um, everybody in the world nearly got killed. Like with the Worldstone. The, the the Black Soul Stone, sorry, which is a chunk of the Worldstone. Stone. Um, a lot of bad stuff happened in a very short amount of time. Between Diablo two and, and like between Diablo two and three, there's a twenty year period where things just went to heck. And I don't I said can't say hell in this game. Come on. Things just went to hell. And then Diablo 3 to Diablo 4, another 20 years of things just going to hell. Uh, and I don't think you need the angels to be behind it. That doesn't mean that it isn't so bad that you might want to bring Lilith back just to try and get if you bring both Lilith and Anarius back and you can get them to work together. With the worldstone gone, they might be the only things that can actually stabilize the world, or at least that I could see that being something someone might believe. Because at least both, both Lilith and Anarius want to keep out of the eternal conflict. They don't want to be part of it. In, well, Lilith wants to be part of it once she has an army of Nephilim she can
0: win it with. Yeah, she wants to end it at her own. Yeah. in her own uh, fight.
1: Way. But uh, I could at least see that as you know if we're if things are left the way they are no one's going to be alive they're all going to die so that's that's feasible um, i not don't know that that's what's happening so i'm very hesitant to say anything like like that we have no idea what the actual thing is going on but we do know that we know for sure lilith is coming back cuz that's the whole part of it that's that she's the villain that we know what's going on there and arius only shows up once it could just be a flashback we might never see him he might not be here that's one of the things i want to caution people on he might but all we have right now is a like like a second blink and you miss it picture of anarius being tortured that's all we've got and we it's assume in, that it's anarius yeah it could be somebody else but it's probably an ARIUS. um it matches the picture of anarius that they also put out the picture of anarius and lilith together that they put out it matches that but it doesn't necessarily mean it is anarius so it it certainly could be something that, if Rathma is doing this, that could be his motivation. He could be like, you know, ever since they, you know, they were deplaced, things have gone wrong. With the world stone gone, there's no force that's governing the world anymore. I got to do something. That could be what happens, but we don't know.
2: It's interesting to consider that, that you know, yeah, Rothma might have the noble idea of let's bring back Lilith and you know, Anarius, if Anarius can come back, let's bring them both back into the game to just try and get us back to zero to figure out what's going on. But then I also it, it seems to me like Lilith coming back or wanting to come back is about protecting her own interests of getting that army of Nephilim that she always wanted in the first place. So the idea that she would come back and want to help save the world specifically so that she could save the Nephilim to fight for her against the hells and the heavens seems kind of up her alley. And it also serves what you were talking about earlier of, uh, of saving Diablo and the terror of Diablo for a later threat. Because if Lilith is who we're tussling with, either her machinations or we're working for her and whoever it is that she's working against is who we're fighting there are a couple different ways that they can play it so that Lilith is still ultimately the bad guy but we're still ultimately going to have to fight Diablo anyway because the conflict is the conflict
1: yeah I think that it's definitely a case where we will eventually see the, the angels and the demons one way or another but we don't know how that's going to work. We know right now Lilith is the goal. But one of the things is, the way that they're setting this game up, I don't think it's going to be like previous Diablo games. Uh, I don't think... For one thing, the fact that it's an always-on world and it's a, and it's a open world... Like, open world games, even when they do expansions, they tend to do stuff that's not expansions, but that's like new content. Um, one thing comes to mind, uh, I'm going to use this as an example, looking at... like games like assassin's creed odyssey or the witcher or what have you they 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 do have expansions they have straight up this is an expansion here's new stuff new places to go but they also have like i'll use odyssey as an example they have like events where this week you can hunt down this new pirate this week this new thing happens and i think that as this game is going more they just you know we know that they hired um Oh, bloody! Heck. I can't remember his name, but he was the guy from uh, from Gears of War. Do you remember his name, Joe? Oh, uh, I don't know. Who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, Rod Ferguson. Yes, they hired Rod Ferguson to be involved in the in Diablo Four because you know he came along and he he made Gears, you know, a much more open world game and a much more critically you know loved game than it had ever been. I think we're gonna. You're looking at a thing where there could be Diablo Four stuff coming out for years. Look at how Diablo Three has lasted without an expansion since like 2014. That's like six years. You just mentioned the Vidian storyline. Crow had just mentioned that. They put that kind of stuff in. They did the Necromancer pack. They've had stuff coming in in dribs and drabs. Now imagine something
0: more more scheduled, more yeah, more part of the core plan.
1: Yeah, we could definitely see a situation where the the Lilith storyline is the major end cap storyline for Diablo 4 and then after you finished it, they're still doing stuff. There's you know more stuff comes in, there's this new this new dungeon appears and it's it's not specifically linked to the end of the game, it's just new content. That kind of stuff could happen and they're going to want to use all these characters if that that they're not going to use for like the the next big thing. They're going to want to have them available, so I, I do. I do think we could definitely be looking at a situation where we'll see more stuff down the road, and it's not just expansions. Expansions are not going to be the sole domain of it. I think we're going to see like we know that's going to they're going to have seasons, you know. So for we could have a dungeon that Zoltan cools the end boss of. You know what I mean? Like oh, he, this is the place where he grows his various clone bodies that he tries to live in. Yeah, we really have no idea. The other problem is that since we know that Diablo Immortal is coming out, that's an MMO. And that's set like 20 years. Like, it's set, like, I think it's, what what is it, like, five years after uh, Diablo 2?
0: Yeah, yeah, five years after Diablo 2. So it's
1: in the period of time between Diablos 2 and 3. Everything they do in that game is going to be set in Sanctuary. And it could very well come up again in Diablo 4. So there's going to be a lot of retroactive continuity that could just pop in. They could just slide it in whenever they want to. Especially since this game is starting, it's an open world, and it's not, like, it's not Kenduras, it's not Westmarch. It's all the stuff over towards, you know, it's it's to the, the the east of the map. So they could end up going back at some point, too. There's a ton of stuff we could end up seeing later.
0: Now, as far as that goes, which we are probably definitely going to see a longer-lived version of Diablo, which I'm all for, but taking it back that step to that second part of the question that, that Droney asked us, what is the difference between Paladins and Crusaders in Diablo?
1: Okay, You want me to go, or do you want to go, bro?
0: Uh,
2: I'm going to leave this one to you. I, I, okay. I don't think I, I'm 100% on this as much.
1: Paladins were started as orders within the Zacharim faith. But they keep in mind that they were very much part of the church. They were part of the Zacharim faith. The uh, Zacarum faith as an institution was being corrupted by Mephisto at the time. He was one of the three prime evils. Uh, the Hader had captured him, and they put his soul stone under the temple at Karast, which was the holy city. And when they did that, he began leaking out of the of the Soul Stone because the Soul Stones were never meant to hold these guys forever. Um, he began leaking out and in, uh, influencing people around him. The the whole fact that you know the, the original Diablo game is um, Archbishop Lazarus went to Candoros uh, to find Diablo from you know from the temple at Karast, He was sent to Westmarch to find Diablo's Soulstone and get him out because Mephisto basically controlled the, the, the Zacharan faith. The paladins were part of that faith. Now, I'm not saying they were corrupted, although some paladin orders were, but if your boss works for the evil that you're trying to fight, they have vested interest in not letting you fight it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times the paladins weren't very effective or they were sent to places where, you know, go ahead and kill some demons over here. That doesn't hurt our plans any. You'll notice there weren't a ton of paladins at the original Tristram when Diablo happens. There weren't any paladins there to stop it because they were sent other places. They were not sent to where they knew Diablo was. Now, the Crusaders, they were founded, and I forget the name of the guy who founded them. I'm sorry, I wrote him Know Your Lore about this, but I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but... When they were founded, they were founded by a, a member of the Zacharroom faith who had noticed the corruption and was like, what's going on? Why are, why are the like, the bishops and archbishops ordering us to do such weird things? Why aren't we just rooting out evil and stomping on it? And he left, basically he, he created the Crusaders and sent them out into the world, like to, to not be part of the Zacharim faith. They believed in, in Zacharum's tenets and creeds, but they weren't a member, they weren't members of the structure of the church. And as a result of that, they weren't getting orders from people who secretly worked for Diablo, the way that the paladins were.
2: Akan. Akan is who you're thinking of.
1: Yeah. When he created the the Crusaders, he did this, deliberately isolated them from the faith so that they could go out into the world, seek out what was corrupting and poisoning it, and and end it. Now, the problem that they had was that he, he didn't know where it was he never stopped to think maybe it's here in Karast. Maybe the evil is here the whole time. So when he sent them out into the world, they were looking in the wrong place. You know, he never it never occurred to them that the holy city, the, the, the center of the Zachary church, was where Mephisto was corrupting them the whole time. If they'd gone there and looked for him there, maybe they would have found him and killed him, or died trying. But because they were out in the world they were completely isolated from that structure and they, their tenants were different as a result of it. And keep in mind that the way that the crusaders work is when you take an apprentice and you train the apprentice, that apprentice is going to replace you. Like literally when you die, they will take your name and become, you know, like for instance, Mm -hmm. Joanna, the crusader, Joanna, her mentor was the crusader, Joanna before her. And her mentor was the crusader, Joanna before her. So the, the, the Crusaders like aren't... I think it's like 160-something of them. And they had like 200 originally, but some died and didn't get a replacement. Uh, but that's how the, the order has existed. There's not that many of them. The Crusaders are a very secret, very close-knit order that for a long time was just living in the swamps uh, east of... Oh, bloody heck. i trying to remember the name of the damn town. Not Karast. Uh, it's in Act 3... No, Act 2 of Diablo 3, and it's the one you go to in Diablo 2. Oh, uh, the Emperor Hakan.
2: Wait. Oh, east of Chaldeum?
1: Chaldeum is the city in question. They're in the swamps to the far east of Chaldeum. That, that's that's where they started, and that's where they were for a very long time. Oh, and they didn't leave the swamps. They were, like, wandering around <laughs> through the swamps, basically. Uh, the people from that area, the, the reason that, for instance, Joanna's got long blonde hair is because the people from that area are, like, blonde. That's, that's, that's where they, that they've they basically, they're very distant from their origins. And that's, paladins are, their, their study of the Zacarum faith, they're, they were taught by, you know, people right there in, in places like Karast. They were very much a part of, like, knightly order with a, with a rigid structure, and their their teaching of the light comes from that. Um, if you read the Book of Cain, the Book of Tyrael, you get, like, a, a good overview of exactly how it worked. Whereas the Hakans Crusaders, you basically got taught by your mentor, who got taught by their mentor, who got taught by their mentor, and there's nobody else. There's no one else to teach you anything. So in a way, the only tricks that you pick up that aren't part of the original teaching are what you've learned in the field to pass on to your student when you get one. It's a different... It's a very different focus and a different order. These are much more wandering knights errant. Paladins were part of an order that is part of the church and that was assigned to do stuff by the church. And now that the Zacharum faith has been through some really rough stuff, like it's very hard to come back from, oh, and by the way, one of like basically one of the three Satan brothers has been running this place the whole time. But we're still worth praying to. You know, it's, it's very hard t- for that to, to be overcome. And it doesn't feel like it has been. You're some 40 years in the future from Diablo 2 by the time you get to Diablo 4. And it doesn't feel like the church has recovered from it. Uh, there's even like when you play Diablo 3, there's that part when you go in and the guy's like, you know, the Zocaroom has failed. What fate can save us? You know, he's a priest. He's, he's a Zocaroom priest in the town. And that's what he's saying. You know, that, the, like, these are some winning sermons, Father. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm feeling reassured now with your whole thing about how we're all going to die. Great job. So, yeah, the, the difference between the Paladins and Crusaders is, is basically one group was very much a part of the church, was effectively its military arm, like the Swiss Guard in, in the Vatican. The veterans of the group,
0: veterans. Yeah.
1: One group was, was isolated. It was not part of the church. It was deliberately kept safe from the corruption that was in the church. But as a result, it didn't really have any real understanding of what was going on in the church. So when the church fell, they were still being this, they were still being crusaders. They don't they don't know any other way to be. You you live your life in search of the truth. You may never find it, but you look for it. And you you take it. You take a, a student and you teach that student. And when you die, that student becomes you, and does the, the same thing you were doing so it's that's how they differ
2: and this wasn't part of Johnny's of original question but the difference between Paladins and Crusaders and Templars are that the Templars are basically a a a zealous a an overzealous super cult that's that's ostensibly part of Zacaroon but really isn't yeah um and they're and they're just a a super extreme version of Paladins uh, that uses brainwashing and is basically just about you know one of the more evil Paladin orders you can get from. And Cormac just happens to be an okay guy, turns out. So yeah, that's Templars for you.
1: All right. Very was, very short very short
2: explanation one. for Templar.
1: Which is unfortunate because the Templars have the best sounding Grandmaster in that they have this. You know, I just I love
0: him as an actor. I think he's really great. Right. But that brings us all to our time limit today, uh, since we are ran a little bit long, but that's okay. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast, site, and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Uh, again, if you have any questions for the show, please make sure that you send them in to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also, if you have any ideas for themed shows, or if you want us to cover a topic in depth, send those in as well. Uh, you can also hit us up on discord. We have a lovely channel set aside for podcasting Q questions for our Patreon supporters. Uh, I would like to thank crow for taking the time out of his busy day to come and hang out with us and talk about echo. Uh, And yeah, hopefully you have fun being here with us. Always do, guys. Always do. And with that, we will see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.